The following program is available on GodTube, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and at livingwithvictory.podbean.com. It's time for Living with Victory, a program of hope and encouragement brought to you by Living with Victory Ministries and listeners like you. In a moment, we'll join your hosts, Laureen and Tony Giorgio, for today's message of perseverance and hope. So if life has left you kicking up dust, keep listening, keep looking up and grab your umbrella, get ready to sing in the Welcome to Living with Victory. Life isn't about waiting for that storm to pass, as we know that well on 9-11. It's about learning to dance in the rain, caused through Jesus Christ, and perseverance. And today, I want to give you a feel of what it was all about on that day, and how we felt with family and friends over there. And I, I'm going to read a lot of different articles here pertaining to that day and it's important that we never ever forget and I don't think we ever will but we also have to remember that God God is our Savior God is the one who puts the shield up there and protects us never forget that and before I start out let me read this scripture so you understand and it's in Joshua it's chapter 1 and it's verse 9 it says have I not commanded you be strong of good courage do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go and that is so true so true especially especially on 9-11. What I'm about to read to you is from USA Today, which was printed in the edition of December 20th, 2001, by Dennis Cochone. And it says, For many on September 11th, survival was no accident. It says, New York, George Slay, a British-born Naval architect was on the phone in his 91st floor office when he heard the roar of jet engines. Looking out his window, he had time to think just three things. The wheels are up, the underbelly is white, and man, that guy is low. An American Airlines Boeing 767 was hurling toward him at 500 miles per hour loaded with 92 people and 15,000 gallons of jet fuel. The jet exploded into the 93rd through 98th floors of the World Trade Center's North Tower with a force equal to 480,000 pounds of TNT. It was 8.46 a.m. on September 11th. The walls, the ceiling, the bookshelves crumbled, Slay 63, manager of technical consistencies at the American Bureau of Shipping, crawled from the rubble. He looked up at the exposed steel beams and the concrete underside of the 92nd floor. 
He didn't know it at the time, but that concrete floor was the bottom of a tomb for more than 1,300 people. Nobody survived on the floors above him, but on his floor and below, an amazing story unfolded. Nearly everyone survived. The line between life and death that morning was as straight as a steel beam. Everyone on the 92nd floor died. Everyone on the 91st floor lived. When a second jet hit the South Tower 16 and a half minutes later, the pattern was virtually the same. In each tower, 99% of the occupants below the crash survived. At the impact area and above, survival was limited to just a handful of people in the South Tower who made an amazing escape. 479 rescue workers died, making the evacuation a success. The sacrifice of New York firefighters and police is well known, but 113 others, from low-paid security guards to white-collar workers at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, the building owner, stood their ground with firefighters and cops. And this is the accounting from the USA Today. And from my perspective, that that morning I'm, I'm watching the television. I, the President Bush was on. I'm in Florida. And he's visiting school children at one of the Florida schools. And somebody comes in and whispers in his ear. And in the corner I see this picture of two buildings, the towers. And I see this plane coming around and slamming into this building. And smoke and fire erupts. And I turned to my wife and I said, why in the world are they putting a movie up when the president is speaking? Not realizing. This was reality. This, this wasn't a mistake. And somebody comes in and whispers in his ear. And I see the shock look in his face and his eyes. And I knew, oh my Lord, this was real. Immediately, my wife and I just couldn't couldn't realize what had just happened but we knew we had friends family in there we knew that you know people were all around us in in that area and oh it, it's drenching to even think about but you know those buildings each tower housed 25,000 people when it was fully occupied, and and on that morning, because it was early, uh, there were approximately five to seven thousand people, according to reports by USA. Ten percent of the occupants died that morning, not counting the firefighters and the other emergency personnel. In all four hijackings that took place, it killed three thousand. 40 people, they say. Innocent people. Innocent people. This wasn't war. They weren't soldiers. They were minding their own business. We weren't doing anything to anybody. And that figure that they say died is more than was killed at Pearl Harbor. The, the panic between us, we immediately prayed for the safety of all those people and our loved ones. And we started calling. You have to realize, here we are, New Yorkers. We have family. We have friends. We have... It's amazing. And we started to call, and we couldn't get people that... The, what happened in New York. People were scrambling. And, and what I came to realize is that it, it touched almost 
every single person in New York. I, I heard from my best friend. He, his, his son-in-law was out there. He was a cop. He, he was out there at the World Trade Center. He survived it. And they were going crazy looking for him. But his, his neighbor, my friend's neighbor, wasn't so lucky. He lost his son. And anybody that we talked to, my, my wife's cousin, she worked there in the towers. That day she wasn't feeling good. She didn't go in. It's real, though. But this here story that I'm about to tell you is about an angel at Ground Zero, and it came out of the guidepost. And I want to read it to you because it it is an amazing testimony to the support of our Lord and the hand of Jesus Christ. And it's called Angel at Ground Zero, if you'll permit me. It's by the survivor. She was the last to be pulled from the rubble. For her, it was a beginning, not an end. And it's by Janelle Guzman McMillan of Valley Stream, New York. It just so happens that my best friend lives in Valley Stream, New York, the one who was looking for his son-in-law. And she says, Today I still work for the Port Authority as I did when I clocked in at the World Trade Center at 8.05. That Tuesday morning, 10 years ago. But now... On September 11th, I try to take the day off. I want to be in a quiet, peaceful place, praying. It is a day I both mourn and celebrate. Sometimes I wonder that what would have happened if I had left the 60th floor of the North Tower earlier and escaped unharmed? What if I hadn't been buried in debris? The ground falling out beneath me at the 13th floor as I was racing to get out of the building. What if I hadn't been stuck under rubble for 27 hours before rescuers finally found me? I would have been grateful, but I wouldn't have looked any deeper at my life. I would have chalked my survival up to quick thinking or quick moving or plain good luck. I ended up doing what my mom would have done. I prayed. Well, it was more like pleading, screaming, promising, asking for some sort of miracle until I pushed my hand through a few inches of rubble above my head and felt someone's warm hand close around mine. Then I heard a male voice say the four sweetest words I have ever heard. I've got you, Janelle. I clung as much to his reassuring voice as to his strong hand. My name is Paul. They're here, Paul said. You're in good hands now. I'm going to go and let them do their jobs and get you out. I never felt him release me. But soon I was holding someone else's hand, a firefighter's, and talking to my rescuers as they painstakingly removed twisted steel and chunks of concrete from around me and lifted me out. Hundreds of helpers handed me down the pile of rubble to an ambulance. I heard them cheering, and I kept saying Paul's name to myself so I wouldn't forget. I wanted to make sure I thanked him. There were three things I promised God I would do as soon as I got out of the hospital. Get baptized, 
marry my boyfriend Roger, and find Paul on November 7th after six weeks in the hospital. Four surgeries and hours of physical therapy and rehabilitation, I kept the first two promises. Roger and I got married and that very morning, and I was baptized that evening at Brooklyn Tabernacle. But Paul, I never found him. Even when the CNN reporter brought me together with my other rescuers, Paul's identity remained a mystery. He wasn't a firefighter who held my hand. That was later. Somehow, Paul had known my name before I even said a word. Who was he? I talked to friends about it. I called my pastor and asked him who spoke about another Paul, the one in the Bible who was totally in the dark, like me, and fought against God until he saw the light. Janelle, my pastor, said, Paul did not exist in the flesh. You are asking for a miracle. And maybe God sent you his angel. That day, without a doubt, in my mind, the Lord Jesus was there. I still struggle with revisiting the images of that day and the tremendous pain on the faces of those who suffered so much loss. But I know now, in a way I never did before, that although planes can be hijacked and buildings knocked down and innocent lives taken, the thing our enemies despise most in us is the one thing that they can't destroy. The American spirit remains invincible. Through Jesus Christ, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. You remember that, ladies and gentlemen, because we are here because of our faith in God. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let anybody take it off of prayer lists in school. And uh, We don't understand. We are God's children. We are God-blessed. Because that is America. It's not the politicians. And it's not going to be anything but Jesus Christ over this country. Remember that. And in closing, I want to say, God bless America. You keep on dancing in that rain because Jesus is your umbrella. You've seen it through this tragedy. God is there. This is Tony Giorgio. You, you have a blessed day, folks. Help Lorraine and Tony in their ministry by becoming a Living with Victory partner. You can make a donation of any amount through PayPal at livingwithvictory.org or send your check to Living with Victory, P.O. Box 1982, Maggie Valley, North Carolina, 28751. That's Living with Victory, P.O. Box 1982, Maggie Valley, North Carolina, 28751. And remember, you can make a donation or purchase gas cards for Living with Victory's Fuel for Life program at Teague's Superette at 130 Soco Road in Maggie Valley. You've been listening to Living with Victory with Lorraine and Tony Giorgio, who for over 30 years have advocated for seriously ill children through Compassion Children's Foundation, today known as Living with Victory Ministries. Support for this radio ministry and our outreach programs comes from listeners like you. Many families that have children that need daily treatments for their illnesses are extremely challenged due to the cost of simply getting to the treatment facilities. Our Fuel for Life outreach supplies gas cards to families at four children's hospitals. You can support our outreach 
outreach programs by sending your tax-deductible donations to Living with Victory, P.O. Box 1982, Maggie Valley, North Carolina, 28751. If you'd like to become a sponsor of this radio ministry, we'd love to hear from you as well. Thanks for listening. So if life has left you kicking up dust, keep listening, keep looking up and grab your umbrella, get ready to sing in the rain. Get ready, get ready. God in His goodness is gathering showers of Proceeding program is available on GodTube, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and at livingwithvictory.podbean.com.